Uh, this week we continue our, service, our, our series called Encounter Jesus. Encounter Jesus. And as you know, when you read through the New Testament, you see people who encounter Jesus before he was crucified, and you see people who encounter him after his crucifixion and resurrection. And so today we're going to be looking at another one of those stories where somebody encounters him before all the resurrection and, uh, and crucifixion happens. And so the thing about this is, is every single person in the New Testament that you see who encounters Jesus goes away somehow changed. And I hope that's the case for us as well, that we, when we encounter Jesus, as we will this morning through his word, you go away a different person. You know how these key encounters in your life work. I, I think about one in the fall of uh, 2000, I encountered, I met somebody uh, and my life was never the same. That's the year that I was attending Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And uh, one evening uh, we had a big group event and I met this girl named Sarah. Okay. She's not in here right now. She's actually over helping with the kids ministry, but I met her and, uh, and we got to know each other, ended up three years later getting married and the rest is history. Um, but you know how that is. If you, if you've, if you are married, if you've been married, you know how that kind of an encounter works. Uh, when you meet that person, your life is never the same. Um, what we see today in our text in Luke chapter five is this man who's not even able to go and meet and encounter Jesus in his own strength. He has to be carried there by his friends. And when he meets Jesus, his life is changed forever. Uh, the, where have we been in this series so far? First week, we looked at the road to Emmaus. Jesus encountered those two disciples. We see Jesus as a companion, walking with them on the road of life. Last week, we looked at uh, Jesus with Nicodemus, Jesus as the teacher, and he, enca- and he encouraged Nicodemus and all of us to believe in him. And this week, we're looking at the paralytic uh, where Jesus invites us to be healed by him. So that's our message this morning is to be healed by him. When you encounter Jesus, your life will never be the same again. And literally, as we're going to see, as we read this story from Luke five, this man walked away a changed man. He couldn't even walk there at the beginning, but he walked away a changed man. So that's our prayer and our hope that through this text, your walk will be changed. So if you have your Bibles open to Luke five, read along with me, or I will put the words on the screen as well. And you can follow along as I read says this one of those days, as he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to, br- to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And then the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. 
And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. It's Luke five seventeen through 26. So this is a well-known story in the New Testament. In fact, I remember hearing this one in Sunday school as a kid and thinking about what would it have been like for those ceiling tiles to start opening up. Like what if that happened right now and some of those tiles started falling down and all of a sudden a man gets lowered through the roof. What would that be like? And really the way Luke tells this story invites you to look and to say, what do you see when you hear this story? It's really a very vivid picture of something that you can just, it just kind of grabs your imagination. A lot of artists have tried to represent this over the years. Here's a painting of, of just what it might have looked like to see that man descending down through the roof. But more than looking at a picture, we want to ask, what do you see when you hear this story? I think what we see is just a couple of things, and we're going to start off with the first one, and that is a crowded house, okay? A crowded house is the very first thing we see in this text. When you look at this, uh, we notice that there are uh, really two individuals and then two groups of people. Individual number one is Jesus, right? We're going to come back to him. The second key player in this story is the lame man who comes and who wants to be healed. He gets lowered through the roof. So those are the two individuals. But we have two groups of people also. One is the religious leaders. It says the Pharisees uh, and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Jerusalem and Judea. So we know there were a lot of them gathered together there to hear what this new teacher had to say. So that's the first group, the religious leaders. And, and what I what I noticed there, when you read this verse, it says this, uh, the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. Okay, so they're just sitting there trying to soak it in, trying to evaluate Jesus, see what he's doing. In contrast, look at this second group of people that we observe in this crowded house. In fact, the house is so crowded that this second group can't get in. Uh, what are they doing? They're these friends who have a, a buddy who has a problem. He can't even walk. And they say, we've heard about this guy named Jesus. We've heard he can heal people. Let's get our buddy to see him. Maybe Jesus will set him free from this sickness. And they arrive and it's too crowded. It says over and over again in here, it says they were trying to bring him in. They were seeking to bring him to Jesus, to lay him before Jesus. And they couldn't find a way. All right, so that's this crowded house. It was so crowded they couldn't get in. So what do they do? They make their own way. They somehow get up on the roof. Houses in those times had flat roofs. So they got up on the roof and tore a hole in the roof to let their buddy down before Jesus. And again, just imagine if you were one of the people who actually was inside the house, when that roof starts breaking up, what would it have been like? So this group of people refused to sit, to hear the answer no. They said, our friend needs to see Jesus. We're going to do anything we possibly can to get him to see Jesus. So this house is crowded with people who are sitting there just to hear it's crowded with this group of men trying to get their friend in. And then, of course, just the, the rest of the people who were there to hear. When you think about who's in that crowded house, really, anytime you read these stories about Jesus, I think the invitation is, with whom do you identify yourself? Are you there to hear Jesus, to embrace his teaching, um, to welcome it? Are you there to bring somebody with you? So you can introduce them to this amazing person, the king of the universe? Or are you there with a skeptical mind saying, 
this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. With whom do you identify yourself? So that's the first thing we see. You have to notice this is a crowded house full of people for there for all different reasons. But at the end of the day, the spotlight in this story really shines on our second thing. And that's a powerful Savior. A powerful Savior. In fact, even on this work of art that you can see on the screen, who's the brightest one in the picture? It's Jesus. In fact, a lot of... uh, renaissance art does that it highlights jesus with the light because he is the main part of this story it's not so much a story about a man who learned how to walk it's a story about a savior who healed him so he could be forgiven and walk forth physically so the spotlight is on this powerful savior when you look at jesus when you look to jesus great things will happen in your life when you come to jesus you will be healed And that's a promise. We're going to talk about that as we work our way through this text. When you look to Jesus, great things will happen. And when you come to Jesus, you will be healed. So what I want us to do now here in this middle section of the text is we think about who is this powerful Savior. There are actually five words, five verbs that are given in the text. Five things that the text says that Jesus was doing uh, as he was here in the house. And so the first one you've already heard, um, it's in verse 17. It says, he was there teaching. One of those days as he was teaching. Um, it doesn't say what he was teaching about. It doesn't even say exactly where he was. He was just in a house, probably a pretty large house, enough to hold all these people. Um, but he was teaching. And that's something we don't want to miss at the very beginning of this text because as you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus is the great teacher. He's more than that, but he is the great teacher. Um, we saw last week when we looked at John chapter 3, uh, remember Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a great teacher who has been sent from God because no one could do all these amazing signs if they were not from God. And so he calls him Rabbi, a great teacher. Everyone knew Jesus was giving teaching. In fact, that's probably why these religious leaders were there, uh, checking out what Jesus was saying and saying, does this line up with what we're taught in the law? Uh, and, And what is this new person teaching? So Nicodemus recognized him as a teacher. Uh, Earlier this year, we were going through the book of Matthew and we spent a lot of time in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, matter of fact, we're going to finish that up before the summer gets here. Uh, but we've been in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus gives the teaching of what the new kingdom is. And remember, one thing that we saw over and over again, when Jesus teaches, he says it's not just about following the rules to the letter of the law. It's about your heart. Yes, obeying the law is important, but God's more interested in your heart. He wants not just outward obedience, but inward obedience. And so Jesus is this great teacher. We see that throughout the Gospels. He teaches, he teaches us through all kinds of things, through, uh, through parables. Uh, that's an incredible thing. He teaches us through things like sermons. And what we see today, as he heals this man, he teaches us with his actions as well, both in word and in deed. He's teaching us who he is and how we're called to respond to him because there is no one like him in the universe. We also saw again uh, in Luke 24 how he interpreted to them all the scriptures. And so again, Jesus is this great teacher. So here's my question for you as we look at this passage of this morning, as we jump in there, verse 17. Have you encountered Jesus, 
the teacher? Have you encountered him as the teacher? And I think some of the things we have to ask ourselves is, number one, are you willing to learn from him? Are you willing to learn from him? Um, are you willing to follow his teaching? Because it's one thing, I think there are actually a lot of scholars in the world today who would say, yeah, Jesus, he was a great teacher and that's what he was. He was a great teacher and you would do well to follow some of his teachings. But Jesus was much more than just a great teacher uh, who asks us to follow some of his teachings. He lays out the words of life and the way of life. And are you willing to learn that? Are you willing to trust it? Are you willing to follow him? Does your life reflect his teaching? And I think a very practical question to ask about this is, how will you learn his teaching? Because it doesn't happen automatically. What is it that you can do to learn his teaching? How will you immerse yourself in the word? How will you be taught the word of God? How will you read the word of God? How will you teach the word of God to others? If he's this great teacher who's come to save us, come to heal us, how will you learn his teaching? So that's the first thing we see him doing in this passage. He's teaching. And then we get to the heart of the matter. And this is in verse 20. We see that he's not only teaching, he is forgiving. Okay, he's forgiving. Look at verse 20. After they let this man down on the bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Okay, this is where the story all of a sudden gets interesting. If it wasn't interesting before with a guy coming down through the roof, it gets real interesting with these words from Jesus. Because part of it would be these men who lowered him through the roof, they'd get him right down there in front of Jesus, and then they're just waiting and watching, waiting for, for the words of healing to come so their friend could get up and walk. And Jesus responds by saying, you're forgiven. If I was one of those guys on the roof, I'd say, uh, actually, I came for, for healing, Jesus, not for, not for forgiveness. But what Jesus does by, by first of all giving forgiveness is he reveals that spiritual healing was a greater need for that man than physical healing ever would have been. Spiritual healing was the great need. You know, this story is really about forgiveness, which is another way of describing spiritual healing. Jesus proclaims that cleansing of the soul is even more important than healing of the body. And if you think about it, this story, not just this story, but the Bible actually is a book about forgiveness. It's a book about why we need to be forgiven. And that's easy. You go all the way back to Genesis. It's because all humans are sinful. It's a message we don't like to hear. But God says every single human being has committed sins, and that's why they need to be forgiven. You, me, everyone on the face of this earth. And then the Bible unfolds the story of how we can be forgiven. And the beautiful thing about it is forgiveness only comes from God and it only comes through Jesus Christ. And so this is a story about forgiveness. The Bible is a book about forgiveness. Uh, let me read a couple verses. This is not just a message that comes out in the New Testament. This is a message that comes out all the way from the beginning. And I'm going to read uh, some verses all the way through the Old Testament here and a couple in the New Testament that just emphasize the fact that our God is a forgiving God. So in the book of Exodus, right after the nation of Israel leaves Egypt, they've been set free from slavery. 
And they're learning how to worship the great king of the universe, the great God, the one true God. God reveals himself to them and he says, here's who I am. Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And it goes on to say that he does judge sin, but the very first thing he wants us to know about himself is that he is a God who wants to forgive sin. He wants to restore those who have fallen away from him. So he is a forgiving God, a forgiving God because he loves us. Read the rest of the Bible. It's not because we deserve his love. It's because that's who he is. That's who Jesus is. He is the forgiver of sins. Psalm 103, verse 12. Uh, we actually sang a song about this earlier, and Clayton read some of this. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Isaiah 1, verse 18. Come, now let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. That's what forgiveness is. God cleanses the filth from our life. The things that would destroy us and drive us away from him. He says, I'm a forgiving God. I want to forgive you and cleanse you. Isaiah 55 verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Isn't that amazing? God describes himself over and over again as abundantly overflowing with love and forgiveness for anyone who will ask, for anyone who trusts him and believes in him. Micah seven nineteen. he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. That's what forgiveness is. When Jesus forgives you, your sins are gone completely, paid for, washed away. It's what John the Baptist was talking about in John chapter 1, verse 29, where he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came to forgive sins because God is a God who loves to forgive sinners. All we have to do is trust that he does it. God forgives. And so the question I had this morning is, again, have you encountered Jesus, the forgiver of your sins? Has he forgiven you? And you might say, I don't know. I'm not sure if he has. I can tell you this morning that you can know for sure that he has forgiven you if you will trust him to do it. You can't forgive your own sins. No priest can forgive your sins. No person can forgive your sins. You can't forgive your own sins. Here's the other thing about forgiveness. Think about in a, um, in a football game. Say somebody com- commits a, a, a personal foul on the other team. And there's an injured player laying on the ground. Uh, and the referee comes up and says, I'm sorry, I apologize. Will you forgive me? The guy on the ground can't forgive him because he's not the one who did the wrong. Right. And so uh, Jesus says, I can forgive you because you're the one I'm the one you've sinned against. 
And so we have to remember this, that Jesus says, I want to encounter you, I want to forgive you, but you have to come to me and ask me. You have to ask for forgiveness, placing your faith in him. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Ask him for forgiveness and place your trust in him alone. Have you encountered Jesus the forgiver? Here's the other thing about this. If you have encountered him, if you're a believer, you're a Christian, somebody who's walking with Jesus, when you sin, Jesus says there's still abundant forgiveness for you. 1 John 1.9 says to believers, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. To keep your relationship uninterrupted with him, there's ongoing forgiveness. All you have to do is ask him. So here in the story, we see a powerful Savior who's teaching, who's forgiving, and that forgiveness is at the heart of what he's trying to teach us through this story. And then we see in verses 21 and 22 that he is also perceiving. That's the word that's used there. Uh, In verse 21, it says this, And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then when Jesus perceived their thoughts, it says he answered them. But he perceives, in other words, he can read what's in their mind. This is not an ordinary teacher, is it? He knows what they're thinking when they didn't even say it. So we're starting to see some things here in the story that point to the fact that Jesus is not just a human. He has divine attributes. The Pharisees and scribes are exactly right on one point here. They say, Only God can forgive sins. That's exactly right. Remember, uh, I can't forgive anyone their sins. You can't forgive anyone their sins and pardon them for eternity. Only God can forgive sins. And he knew their thoughts. The Pharisees thought that Jesus was equating himself with God. Guess what? He was and he is because Jesus is God, fully God. So the Pharisees knew that either he is what he claims to be, which is God, or he's a blasphemer, pretending that he has the power to forgive sins. And they chose the latter. They thought, he's blaspheming. No human can forgive sins except Jesus Christ. Psalm 139, verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Only God can perceive the thoughts of our hearts and know the doubts that are in our hearts and in our minds. If you think about this one, that Jesus is this great Savior who is perceiving all things. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what's in your mind. And he invites you to come to him. He says, I want you to come to me for forgiveness, for healing, and you'll never be the same. He's God Almighty. He knows the thoughts of your hearts. Some people have thought, well, then that means I shouldn't ask him for anything. If he already knows what I want, why would I ask him? Let me ask you this. Any of you who are parents in here, if you have like a little three or four-year-old kid, you know what they want. They want their cookies. They want their milk, whatever. But how great is it when they come to you and say, hey, daddy, can I please have a snack? I mean, it's just fun to give them what they need. And God is a loving father. He loves it. Even though he already perceives what we think and what we need and what we ask for, he wants us to come to him in dependence on him. So Jesus knew all things that were in these uh, Pharisees' hearts. He's a perceiving Savior. He knows what's in your heart. 
That leads us to the next thing is that Jesus has an answer for their thoughts. He gives them an answer. He's an answering Savior. Um, what does he say here in verse uh, 22? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. That's our word. Why do you question in your hearts? And then he says, which is easier for me to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise up and walk? That's a pretty simple question, right? Uh, if I was talking to somebody on the front row uh, who needed healing from a sickness, which would be easier for me to say to them, hey, you're healed. All of you could look at that and say, uh, they're not healed. Marcus, it didn't work. Or I could say your sins are forgiven you and you all wouldn't know. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, this is, it's so much easier just to say those words, your sins are forgiven you. But to show you that I have power to forgive sins, I'm now going to heal his body. Look at this. Uh, and it says, um, but so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and went home, glorifying God. So what Jesus does with this answer is he says to the Pharisees, I want you to know that I have authority not only in the heavenly realm, but also in the earthly realm. I have authority both in heaven and on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says, I have power over heaven and earth, and I'm going to prove it to you. By not only forgiving his sins, but by healing his body. See, this is why Jesus did these signs. We read in the book of John that Jesus did many signs and wonders so that by believing you may have life in his name. It proved that he was the Christ, the son of God. That's why he did these signs, to prove that he was sent from God and that he had power from God. Earlier in the passage it says, And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. For what reason? So that he could give this answer and say, I have authority in heaven and on earth. So his answer points out his disbelief, their disbelief. Now, there's something that happens in his answer, though, that is, is a first in the gospel of Luke. Okay, uh, Jesus calls himself the son of man. He says, so that you might know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Well, who's this son of man? Now, if you read through the rest of the book of Luke, probably, I think it's over 25 times, Jesus calls himself the son of man. I am the son of man. Well, what does that mean? It sounds kind of like he's saying he's the son of a human. But if you go all the way back again to the Old Testament, this is a loaded phrase, okay? The son of man is a loaded phrase. We're going to go back to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Flip there in your Bibles if you can. This is a prophecy that Daniel gave uh, hundreds of years before Jesus came, talking about the coming of a great king who would be called the son of man. And so when Jesus says, I'm doing this so that you will know that the son of man has authority to forgive sins, He's identifying himself with this promise from Daniel chapter 7. So Daniel 7 verse 13, and this is a vision that Daniel had. It says this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, so that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. 
This is not talking about just a regular human being. This is talking about a divine ruler who will live forever. And Jesus identifies himself with that person. He says, I am that person. So this is the first time in the Gospel of Luke, and we see this title throughout the book of Luke and throughout the other Gospels. But don't miss this point. This powerful Savior, Jesus is explaining through his words and his actions that he's not only sent from God, but he is God, and he has the authority to forgive sins and and the power to heal people's bodies. Jesus is the answer. You see him giving an answer to these Pharisees and teachers of the law. But you need to realize that Jesus is the answer to every situation you may face in your life. Jesus is the answer. And my question is, have you encountered him? He claims in these verses to be the king of the universe who will rule forever and ever. Have you encountered him? Have you given your life to him? Is he the king of your life and of your heart? And that brings us to the conclusion of the story as we see Jesus healing. He's the great healer. You see, Jesus heals this man, first of all, spiritually, and then he heals him physically. He demonstrates his power to heal spiritually by healing him physically. Jesus cares about both. Now, here's the deal. When you read a story like this, and you might be struggling with some illness or have struggled, know someone who's struggling with an illness, uh, I get this question all the time. Does God still heal people like this? Does God still heal people? The answer is yes. God does heal people physically. We know stories of this happening by his great power. Uh, I think of a a lady in my old church who uh, had an x-ray, had a huge mass in one of her lungs, uh, and had a few tests done that looked like serious lung cancer. Um, and so she came to the elders of the church to pray, as James instructs her to do, instructed her to do. Uh, and the elders prayed over her. The next week, she went back for a follow-up appointment, and they couldn't find it anywhere. To the extent of they thought maybe they had the images from a different person. So for whatever reason, God chose to heal her, miraculously. But what about all those of us who God doesn't heal physically? Right, I'm standing up in front of you this morning with an insulin pump. Okay, I'm a diabetic. I've been a diabetic for 30 years. Um, I know plenty of you who have other physical ailments and sicknesses, cancer, different things that we struggle with. And we pray for healing and God doesn't always heal. God doesn't always heal. Why not? Why doesn't God heal me? We can ask that when you read this question. If it was so easy for Jesus to heal this man, why doesn't he just heal everyone physically? And I can't give you a perfect answer on that. But one thing we can look at, if you'll flip with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is the Apostle Paul speaking about a physical ailment he has in his body. You would think, right, if God was going to heal anyone, surely the Apostle Paul would be worth healing in our human way of thinking. Wouldn't it be good to set Paul free from this so Paul could write about it and tell even more people about this great healing that God has done? That's the way our minds work. Look at what Jesus said, or what uh, what God says to Paul in First and Second Corinthians twelve, uh, verse seven. 
This is Paul talking about this. He says, To keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So I want you to hear those verses this morning. And if you're struggling with a physical ailment, a sickness or disability or something like that, know that God's still there with you. Uh, and he wants you to glorify him by walking through that for as long as he has you walking through that. Um, that doesn't make it any easier. But also know this, when people watch a believer walk faithfully through struggles, it's an incredible testimony to the faithfulness of God, how he sustains them and walks with them. So you read a story like this, and if you're struggling with a physical ailment, you'll say, God, why don't you heal me? I would love to, I would come down through this ceiling right now if you would heal me or heal my loved one. My marriage. But ultimately, we have to remember who's the great king and who sees the big picture. It's God, it's the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. God does promise us that one day all those of us who know Him will be healed 100% physically. Revelation promises us that uh, there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more weakness, no more struggle. You will be healed 100%. That's the hope we have. It's the hope I have. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about how we will receive a house that's imperishable, a body with no flaws. We will be healed one day. And I look forward to that day. But in the meantime, remember that even if God has not made that physical healing available to you yet, the spiritual healing is available to you right now. First and foremost, to anyone who believes Spiritual healing is available. So have you encountered Jesus the healer? Has he healed you from your sins? That same question. Has he forgiven you? Do you know him? Have you trusted him? That's not where the story ends. One more brief note here. What we see at the end of this story, after we look at this powerful Savior, is that all these people who are crowded into this house suddenly have a reason to celebrate. Look at what happens. Immediately he rose up before them, the lame man. He picked up what he had been lying on and he went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. So this morning as we hear this story and we look at that story, let's realize once again, we have seen extraordinary things. We believe by faith that Jesus healed that man. We believe by faith that Jesus forgave him for his sins. We believe by faith that he forgives you for your sins if you trust him. We also believe by faith that one day you will have complete physical and spiritual healing. And that gives us a reason to celebrate. God's healing is amazing. And we got to celebrate that and give him credit. You see, when God changes your life, when he heals you, 
you're never the same again. You have to celebrate and worship because of what he's done, both in word and in deed. That's what the folks in this story did. When I think about those last words of this story where it says they were amazed and they said, we've seen extraordinary things today. You think about this. If you've experienced healing from Jesus, are you amazed? You know, we began this service talking about or singing the words, I stand amazed in the presence. Are you amazed? And I suspect, this is speculation here. I suspect that this lame man went home and he didn't just go home and fold his bed up and never talk about this event again. Right? His life was changed forever. It says he went home glorifying God. And I suspect that kept going for a long time. Here's a man who couldn't walk, who now can walk. Here's a man who was sinful and condemned and now is forgiven and walking in the light of life. If you've experienced spiritual healing, if you've experienced salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, don't keep that message to yourself. I want to invite the worship team to come back up here and then just give you a couple of takeaways. Number one, come to Jesus. He will heal you. Just like that lame man came to Jesus, he was healed. Jesus will heal your physical sicknesses one day and your spiritual sicknesses the moment that you place your trust in him. Number two, help others come to Jesus. Think about that crowd of men. If they had not put forth that effort, we wouldn't have had this story to examine this morning and this message from Jesus. So join Jesus in his message to seek and to save the lost. And then the third thing, first of all, come to Jesus. Second of all, help others come to Jesus. The third thing is, if he's saved you, if he's healed you, worship him. Worship him. Celebrate what he has done. We do that this morning. We're going to sing a song just in a minute. But right now, I want you to bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son, the powerful Savior, Jesus Christ. God, we praise you that he has made healing for sin available through his body and through his blood. God, I pray that, uh, Lord, that we would trust him. Lord, that if there's anyone here who hasn't trusted him, that today would be the day. And God, as we worship you now, we pray that not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Amen.